for you to reach out to your neighbors and friends, to uh, invite them into your home, come for some dessert, a meal, or just a cup of coffee, and play this movie to them. It's true life stories, testimonies there that are just phenomenal. And when you think about it, it's something that's not really talked about much, is it? About heaven. Is heaven for real? Is eternal life real? These are questions a lot of people won't ask. They don't even want to go there. We should go there. This is a great video for you to have. Not to have just for you and your family to watch and go, wow, that's really cool. No, it's a tool. God is constantly equipping and enabling Christians, believers, to reach out. This is a, a tool you can use. And all you've got to do is put it in and press play. And Billy Graham will do the rest there for you to help share the gospel and also make the impact about what is heaven all about. So turn with me, if you will, to your Bibles. And we're going to look at the passage in, chapter, in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. And while you're turning there, I want to thank everybody that uh, sent my father-in-law, Linda's dad, a birthday card. We arrived there, and as we sat down for a cup of coffee, he said, I got a lot of birthday cards, and I'm surprised because nobody knows us here. And all these people, I don't know who they are. So Linda and I started looking at it, and it was you guys. So we got to tell him all about you, and, uh, and, and gee, he couldn't stop the tears. And he said, I, I haven't felt loved like this ever from strangers. Love is powerful. Thank you so much for doing that. And Linda's heart was so touched by it as well. And again, as the announcements were said out there, we've put up the Thanksgiving wall. So in your bulletin, you should have this card. Write out a prayer of thanks. What are you thankful for what God has done this year? I know the farmers are really grateful. Great harvest. So think about what has God done for you that you want to put up on this card and pin it on that wall that we have there. And because you know what? It's an encouragement for those that are having a tough time. See, the devil creates doubt and insecurity in people. When they see those prayers up there of thanks, that God is active in your life, so please use those. Um, just recently, I upgraded my software, my Bible studying software and that, and I was quite amazed. As I looked at this passage and the themes that are in this passage, we're going to see the disability here. We see Jesus once again doing miracles, spiritual warfare, we also see blasphemy, blessing and cursing, conflict, discipleship, doubt, evil. We see God, the knowledge about God, power, the Holy Spirit, kingdom of God, about obedience and about disobedience, parables, revelation. We see Satan, temptation, victory and death. So I highlighted this passage. So from verse 14 to 28, I highlighted it and thought, I want to see what this software can do with this passage. And what came to mind as it was doing its thing was, you know that verse that says, given much, much is going to be expected. So I better use this tool to help you guys out there too. So while it processed its thing, how many pages do you think it put together on these verses from verse 14 to verse 28? Any idea? Take a guess. Pick a number. Somebody. Twelve? No. 175 pages. Just on this passage. So it's going to be a long service. So sit tight. Get comfortable. <laughs> so let's read this passage together. Open your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you there. Let's read this together. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding him of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts, and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself laid waste is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, 
how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I by by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do you? Uh, sorry, by whom do your sons cast out, cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the lost state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask, Lord, that your spirit once again speak through me like the first service. And, Lord, that you would uh, use this passage to encourage all of us here, to enable us, to mobilize us, Lord, with the scriptures. Lord, it cost you a lot on that cross. And your purpose is laid before us in your word. Lord, I just ask that you would be here and that your spirit would encourage and open people's eyes and ears to hear what the word has to say and to draw them closer and closer to you, Lord, and to fulfill your calling on their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 14, you see there, if you have a look, it says, The crowds were amazed. Crowds were amazed. From the beginning of God's word, we should all be amazed. It should take our breath away, in fact. Those that have been reading through the Bible with me can remember all that you've heard and seen as you read it. If you're in there, it feels like you are hearing it. And, you, and you, if you allow yourself to be there, see it as you're reading it, it's amazing what God does. I love in Joshua, chapter 3, verse 5 says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Think about the Old Testament. Think about what God has done. So we have the creation there, and people start to multiply. And then look what happens. The mess they make of it. And Noah is the one righteous and eight others. But to start a new world, God destroys the earth. And the new world starts. And look what happens as he focuses on his chosen people. All the wonders, the incredible, the amazing things that he's done. This is the God we're still worshipping. This is the God we're to follow. In Job it says, God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. Astonishment and surprise should just overcome us as we're reading the Word of God and seeing what He has done in, in His Word. It should be a frequent response to the actions you see taking place and the words of God and now the words of Jesus Christ as well. See, God is not passive or unreceptive or even remote from His creation, but is dynamically involved in all that he has made. In the past, this activity was seen in the history of Israel and in the ministry now we see of Jesus Christ. In the present stage, God's activity should be seen in the life of believers. We should have people amazed in our life, in the way we do things, in the way we're living. They should be totally captivated by the way you live your life and what God is doing in your life. 
You remember that uh, song we sang a couple of weeks back with Mark Schultz, and it's a verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. This still is in my mind and heart. I cannot stop thinking about it. I've never seen this verse or had its impact on me so much in the last few weeks. It says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Think about that for a moment. Greater is he who is in you. How amazing is your life? Than he who is in the world, or does the world run your life? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is active by nature. He actively working out his purposes. You've got to know what God's purpose is. You've got to know the whole Bible, the whole story. It's a story that flows from the beginning to the end. It's an amazing life. In that uh, video that you see there, one of the men quote, quoted this. He says, life is awesome until something unexpected happens. Life is awesome until something unexpected happens. Jesus says, my father is working until now. I myself am working. In Numbers it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? In Proverbs it says, The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the evil day. Think about that. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. You know, I love how God is described in the Old Testament. His name reflects his activities and involvement in his people's lives. In Genesis, it says, The Lord will provide. The Lord who heals you. The Lord is my banner. I love this one. This title emphasizes that God is like a warrior who champions for his people's cause. Is the Lord your banner? In Psalms it says, The Lord our Maker. The Hebrew word used does not refer to our original creation, but to the way in which God is fashioning a people for himself. So you know it says, We are the clay and he is the potter. He is shaping your life, if you will allow him. He is trying to change you, mold you into something useful for Him. He wants to use you to do what Jesus was doing on earth, to reach people. He's molding you if you're allowing Him to do that. You know, I love one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is the story about Moses. You know, when Moses first started out to get the people out of Egypt, he was reluctant. I can't speak. I got a lisp. I've been down that road with God too. I can't speak. I'm never getting up here. But Moses eventually takes on his call and he starts to do it. And he spends a lot of time with God. And it gets to a point where he just wants to see God. He's fallen in love with God. He's so passionate about his relationship with God. And God feels this, senses this. And I want you to think about this. And as I thought about this, this this week, my sons took me to a movie, which is just out now. It's all about space with Matthew McConaughey. I got lost in one of the wormholes in space. I couldn't find my way out. It's all about reality and time and space. And But think about that universe. We have the Hubble telescope, okay, that can now take photographs billions and trillions of miles away of our universe, universe our galaxies, right? So where is heaven? How come we haven't found heaven yet? How far away is heaven? So I want you to think about this story with Moses, right? So Moses really desperately wanting to get to see God. And what is God doing? If you will, picture this is earth here and God is up here. Okay? And Moses is down there. And it says there, God came down and picked up Moses. This little speck here. 
and then put him in a cliff of a rock. So he grabs Moses, our delicate little bodies, and puts him in a cliff of a rock, on a cliff, wedges him so he doesn't fall, and then puts his hand over his eyes and walks away. How long is his arm? He walks away so that he takes his hand away from Moses' eye so he could see the back of God. How long is that arm? How far did he have to go so that he could come in perspective for Moses to see? Isn't that awesome? God can pick you up, but where is heaven? How does that work? We can see billions and trillions of miles away with a telescope and we can't see heaven. But God can just come down and pick you up. It's that little thing we are. When you look at the galaxy and the photographs of Earth from space, I love how um, that video, Indescribable, puts it. If we were a golf ball, and you look at these other planets, we are nothing. We are tiny little creatures. And yet God would do that for us. His word is active. In Isaiah, the Hebrew for word can be translated to deed or action. God's word is not merely a communication, but a powerful force active in the world. Also in Isaiah, I love this, it says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Where is heaven? When I was flying back from California, I was looking out the window with Travis and we were up here and there's beautiful clouds and this beautiful light. And I was like, I want to see heaven, Lord. Where are you out here? I was saying. And then we descended. We went through the clouds. And you know what? We are in another layer. There were clouds below me and another beautiful view. But we just popped out through some other clouds up here. The snow come down from the heaven and not to return there without watering the earth, and make it bear and sprout and furnish seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this part. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. This is God. And without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. We have the word of God. Throughout this book of Luke, it's always bringing us to the point of go. For which matter I sent it. So everything you say, my word will go forth from my mouth. We are speaking the word of God. We should be speaking the word of God. We have the word of God. A lot of us have been studying the word of God and coming to church for a long, long time. We need to speak the word of God. In this video of heaven, one of the girls that is in the midst of a tragedy and trying to find comfort and understand it. Guess what? She gets to the point of trying everything else in the world. She phones a friend from school days and says, where do you go to church? See, a seed was planted some time back in her head from a friend. Nothing we say will come back void. We might not see the response when we're sharing Christ with somebody. They might reject us and walk away, but you've said it. You've said what the Word of God says to someone. He uses that to grow it. They'll come back to you. Like this girl did. She went to church with her friend and she gets saved. In Psalm 22 it says, For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nation. God is active in human life unless you're restraining Him. Unless you're stopping it. He determines the course of human lives. It says in Acts, For in Him we live and move and exist. Also in Acts it says there when they were telling the listeners, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Him. So what do we have inside of us? You see, Jesus is a man. He's God-man. He's here on earth at this time. 
He is filled with what? It tells us he is also filled with the Spirit of God, right? So he's doing things by the Spirit of God. As you accept Jesus Christ in your personal Savior, what indwells you? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He is greater that is in you. You have a, a phenomenal power that is abiding in you. Are you letting it work for the glory of God? Think about it. Think about this awesome God. Are you amazed when you read this? Are you absolutely astounded that you, you've got to talk about this stuff? How do you picture where heaven is? How do you picture how God can do things on earth? From where? And then we look at our passage here in verse 15. But some of them, look at this. These people had the records of what the finger of God had done for them. I love this. This is the title of my sermon, The Finger of God. I can't get my head around the description of this. I mean, these men, as you see in this picture, these people of authority, of knowledge, Knowledge, what does the Bible say about that? It puffs up. It doesn't get you anywhere unless you, you know how to use it and apply it for the glory of God. With love. Do these men have love? No. They don't. We've seen that over and over as they have treated our Jesus. What is the matter with man today? What is your initial response when you read this accusation against your Jesus? Our Jesus Christ. Look what he has been doing in the midst of these crowds, in the midst of these people of authority, and they're accusing him of doing it by the power of Satan. Really? You know what amazes me too is, you know, Christians sometimes judge other Christians by what they say. Many times when I share bits of my testimony and stories and how God has led me here and there, and they go, do you really believe God told you to do that? Do you, you, you saying God sent you here? Are you saying that God did this? Why do they, why do they say that? But well, look at these people. Right in the midst of God. Right in the midst of Jesus, the God-man. And they are accusing him of being able to do this through the power of Satan. This is blasphemy, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Do you realize this? The denial of the action of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus Christ or crediting what he has done to demonic influence is blasphemy. Jesus Christ warns against blasphemy in Mark chapter 3 verse 29 it says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, never has forgiveness. Never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. We have to be careful of what we say about the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. These men are blaspheming the work of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit working in Jesus Christ, like the same Holy Spirit we have, in what He just did with that miracle. Blasphemy is acting in ways which deny the Holy Spirit's work. Think about it. How many people have you met when you try and talk about this? Deny the power of the Holy Spirit. We, you know, I really get wrapped up when I and I re get into the Word, and I try and put myself there and picture it for real. I get frustrated because they're accusing Jesus of this. I just can't believe they're so blinded. And when, but when I look around, when I come out into the world and get on with my day, I hear some people say over and over, there is no God. Look at the world around you. Look at the news of what's happening in Europe, in the Middle East. There is no God. Jesus is a prophet. That's what they think. Jesus' own people, Israel, still are not accepting him. So many people do not know the whole story. So they are 
being influenced by Satan and his demons. They're doubting the word of God. They don't believe. People are starting to say to me with this killing and murdering in the Middle East, they say, why would God allow this to happen? Are you ready to answer that question as a believer in Jesus Christ? You know, a lot of people do not know the whole story. A young person was asking me just this week about this. And when I started to take her through the Old Testament, do you, do you really know God? Do you understand His purpose and plan? Do you know what He has done and has still prophesied still to do to this world and to mankind? Because this is the God you're following. This is the God you should be following. This is the God you should understand. We are the Gentiles. We have privileged to be given this time on earth and to go to heaven. Because God's focus is on Israel. That's his chosen people. And he's going to complete what he has said in the word of God here with them. In John it says, and these men that you see on the screen here, one of them comes to him and says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. See the we know? As a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And these people are going to crucify our Lord. In 2 Corinthians, our verse that I believe God gave us as a church, in chapter 5, verse 19, it says, namely that God was in Christ. Okay? Can you picture that? God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean to you, personally? If God was in Christ, and his purpose is to reconcile the world to him, and Christ died for us, for our sins. And when we believe in Him as our personal Savior, His Spirit indwells us, the Holy Spirit, right? So what are we called to do? And what does our verse say? We are ambassadors for Christ. So therefore, we should be doing what Christ is doing, reconciling the world to God. So we don't have to get way out there about the world. Let's just start with Scott's Bluff. Let's just start within our own neighborhood and community. Do you know all your neighbors by name? Do you have them on a prayer card praying for them? What are we doing with the gift of the Holy Spirit in us? What is the passion of Christ? That none should perish. You know, we learned the Lord's Prayer. Thy will should be done as earth as it is in heaven. What are you saying when you're saying that? And how many of us are just so dying for the Lord to come and come on, let's rapture us, let's get out of here. It's a mess. You, when you think like that, do you realize how many people are going to be left behind in the time of tribulation where there will be no Holy Spirit? There will be no understanding of good and evil. There will just be evil. So when you look at the movies and the things that are out today, that's a world of anarchy with no Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will rise with every believer. He ain't here anymore. We have to think about what we're learning. God is active in the church. In Galatians chapter 3 it says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It also says in Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, According to the power that works within us, you. That, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In Philippians it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In verse 15 of this passage, these men accuse Jesus of working for Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, Satan. It makes you think about all that Christ has done amongst the crowds, these miracles. You know, miracles 
Do not convict people of sin. Doesn't. It's just a wow. And a lot of us don't believe in the miracles anymore now either. Or it also doesn't give them faith, which will lead to salvation. As we can see, all that God all that Jesus was doing whilst he was on earth, it's not changing these people's minds. They're not repenting. On seeing the miracles, some people marvel, while others accuse Jesus of being in a league with the devil. Satan's work is in this world through people. He does his work through people. And through those spiritual beings who acknowledge his authority. His demons, or agents, you could say, oppose God's will and his purpose. They're here to destroy the church. They're here to twist you, create doubt, fear, They had to destroy everything that anybody can believe about God's word. And he is doing a powerful job at it. Visible means the Lord of the house. It relates to verses 18 and 26. Jesus showed how illogical their accusation is. How illogical it would be for Satan to fight against himself. Satan doesn't... Does and remind, I need to remind you, Satan does have a kingdom. But we must also know Jesus has invaded it and conquered it. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even at the rest. Among who we too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Look what's happening in our world today. Look what we're saying that's immoral is okay now. We're just accepting these immoralities. Okay. In also in Ephesians it says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. It also In John it says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, it says, And the one who practices sin is of the devil. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. You hear that? No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. But this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. For this message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In verses uh, 17 through 18 of our passage, look what he says. But he knew their thoughts. Do you know what? He knows every thought you have. This is the same God. Whatever you're thinking, Whatever you're doing, he knows. He said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. This is what he's saying to their accusation. But look how he puts this in here. And a house divided against itself falls. I pondered that for a while. I thought about that. How does that relate in this world? Why would you put that in there? Because we are talking about two kingdoms here. Satan's and God's. But then he throws in this. You know, when I look at where God is taking me on my travels, 
What is the house? Yeah, divided against itself falls. And what the Lord showed to me was just look at all the churches you, you have seen and seen closed and seen divided and broken. It falls. Churches are falling. Doors are shutting. No more pastors. They have hard to come by. Churches are crying out. Over 1,500 pastors a month, I believe, in the United States of America are finishing up in the pastorate. The house divided against itself falls. If Satan is also divided against itself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by visible. He knew their thoughts. He knows your thoughts too. Where is your position with Christ? Satan's kingdom is not divided. You can see what his work all around. But it will not stand. That's a fact. Because it's in the word of God. They were demanding a sign from heaven. Look at them. It's unbelievable. They've got this miracle. Now they want a sign from heaven. What are you looking for when you're praying? What are you looking for God to do before you'll do what he's asking you to do? Because you're doing just what these guys are doing. Oh, that miracle's cool. But... Yeah, wait, give us something from heaven. Show us something else. What is going to satisfy you to believe in what is said here and get going? And let this power of the Holy Spirit do His work. You know, He gives us so much in the Scriptures that can show you where you are with Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you meet those spiritual attributes, characteristics of your life? Are you sure you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Where do you stand before Christ? Because you should have this unbelievable passion. You should be getting into this and get really, man, why are people so blind to seeing this? Well, you know what? A lot of them haven't heard the word, the truth. The leaders had asked Jesus for a sign. And he warns them that seeking after a sign is evidence of unbelief. We're seeing over and over in this book of Luke, he's saying, do it. Go. Are we going? Are we doing it? Or are we saying, well, Lord, I need this, I need that, I need this before I know whether I should do this or not. Are people in authority as blind today as these men are? That's accusing Jesus. Are people discrediting Jesus today? They are. More and more so. They are discrediting the word of God. They are saying, you know, it's not, that's not exactly what he's saying. That's what people are saying. They, they turn in it. No, it, it says exactly what it says. There's no other meaning there. That's the word. That's the doctrine. No, 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 no. God wouldn't do that. Really? He has done that. And he is going to do what he's still going to do. In verse 19, it says, Jesus says, And if I, by visible, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? See, because these men of God were also casting out demons at that time. And so who are they doing it by? Look at the double-minded standard of these people, of those who are accusing him. So if their religious leaders can cast out demons and claim it was done by the power of God, but they won't accept that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of God. And I love this verse. All week it's just been clinging on to me. Verse 20. Have a look at that. He says, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Sure has. It's all around us. What is the finger of God? It's a figure of speech which gives expression to God's creative power and authority over His actions, over His creation. God creates with His finger. In Psalm 8.3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained. When I went to that movie and seen where they've got all this picture, and if you get that indescribable video of... Um, 
I forget the guy's name. And his study with NASA of the heavens and the stars and the universe. Your heavens, the work of your fingers. God also writes with his fingers. In Exodus chapter 31 verse 18, when he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Incredible. He writes judgment in Daniel chapter 5. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. He then calls Daniel to try and figure out what, what do these words say? What's, what's the meaning of this? Daniel says, Then the hand was sent from him, being God, and this inscription was written out. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this incredible? God's finger wrote the Ten Commandments in stone. This hand appears and writes in this palace where these guys are having a big drinking party, festival thing, and writes on the plaster. Isn't this amazing? This is incredible. And look at this in... In uh, Exodus chapter 19, the magicians said to Pharaoh, and this is the time where God was releasing his people from captivity. Look what it says. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the God we should be totally amazed with. This is a God with these stories and amazing things he has done. should be there. I watched the trailer to Moses when I went to the movies with my son. Oh my goodness, they've done a great job of uh, making it come alive, especially when he parts the Red Sea and Pharaoh's chasing them in there. It gives you an incredible picture. I'd love to go to the Red Sea and see, see that ocean there. But just think about what you're reading. And then go, go to do some research on what architects have found. Archaeologists, sorry, not architects. And you'll find they've actually found the place where they did cross further up. There's a bigger beach and they've been able to calculate that would hold that amount of people. Previous place in the, old, in the old Bibles and your maps was a very narrow spot. It gets even better. They've sent divers down under the water and they have found the wheels of the chariots, barnacles all around that, under the water. Isn't incredible. I mean, this is, this is stuff you can have people in your house for hours. When, my, when, I'm, when I get going, my, when someone asks me a question, like yesterday, a young person asked me a question, my son said, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Two hours later, they were saying, okay, Dad, we got it, we got it. It's just unbelievable. To, you've got to be able to feed on this and then feed it to someone else to digest. Christ's miracles show that the kingdom of God is present and Jesus pictured Satan as a stronger man in his house, Right? Guarding his palace, you could say, guarding his belongings. But Jesus invades Satan's territory, destroys his armor and his weapons. This is what this parable means. And sets free the captives. The point of the parable is that Jesus is the stronger one. That's what this parable is saying. Scripture also records... Christ describing the relationships of some of unbelieving Jews to Satan. I have to put this in here. Because I want you to get a feel of his anger. This is how he speaks of those, these men questioning and accusing him. He says, you are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whoever speaks, whenever he speaks is a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what he is good at. And he has really got better at it. He is telling so many lies to people, and people are listening. They're turning away from the Word of God. They're walking away from church. Even Christians can be oppressed by this. Can be not indwelt. If you believe in Jesus Christ, those demons cannot get in you. But they can oppress you. What are you listening to? What do you actually believe? 
What is Jesus saying to you when you're reading the Scriptures, when you're coming to church? What is the whole purpose? What's His plan? It's about people. It's all about people from the beginning. And look, at the, these are these people that have knowledge. They have the records. They don't understand the Word of God. Do you understand the Word of God? We have the full record right here to the end. Do you understand this? Do you understand what's coming? These men had the Scriptures. It told them where Jesus was going to be born. Well, everything we're reading in the Old Testament, they had it too. But look at them. Just look at this. And this is what he called them. They thought they were saved. You are of the Father, the devil. So what do we see here? We see the line drawn. There are two kingdoms, God's and Satan's. Satan is active and powerful. He's described as being the power in this world. He has a good hold. But God's kingdom is far stronger and will eventually triumph. If you don't know that, all what's going around in the world and all your friends coming to you saying, isn't this terrible? Look what's happening to our world. This is shocking and that. And you don't know what is going on and how to get to the point of, let's focus on God here. Let me sit you down. This is, we're right on target. I've got to show you what it says in Scripture. And sit with the, when they come to you with the world's pressures and disasters in their life, that's your key. That's your opportunity to open the door of their heart and feed it with the Word of God. You see, people cannot be neutral in this matter. Either they choose to side with God or they do not. That is the meaning of Jesus' warning words in the next verse, 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. These are words of warning. Are we listening to the words of warning here? He who is not with me is against me. Finished. So to further illustrate this, and the danger of attempting to ignore what has been written and what has taken place, if you're choosing to be non-committal about Jesus, Jesus explained what can happen to such people. Unfilled and complacent people are easy targets for Satan. If you're just sitting on the fence, you're an easy target. The evil spirit that he talks about here that left this home, this home is a human body. We don't know why he decided to leave this person, but he does. For some reason... He did. And he goes around trying to find some peace, some rest, a resting place. And what is their resting place? It is somebody. It is someone, something they can enter to tor torment. That's their resting place. That's what they're looking for. Then, he doesn't find anywhere. He comes back to this home. This person now is freed of that demon. He becomes a nice guy. Cleans himself up. Wants to start doing things right. Says the right things. Thinks his life's okay. Well, I don't need to get involved in anything else. I don't get committed to Jesus. I'm doing fine. My life's perfect. But I'm empty. Jesus was making a serious point about people's spiritual destiny. If you're empty without him. In verses 25 and 26, we see the demon's absence from the home, which is the person's life. He had been swept clean, but is still empty. He made some personal changes. His condition improved. But the man did not believe in Jesus Christ and did not invite God to come in and dwell with him. In other words, the man remained stubborn, unbelieving, and neutral in this whole thing, probably. Without Christ as your personal Savior, your life is now so inviting for a demon. A demon finds this man so inviting, so spacious, he goes and finds seven more. So there's eight move into this body. The owner of the house is now filled with eight demons. Instead of one, that person is worse off than ever. What happens to that person? 
He goes back to jail. He goes back on crack. He goes back drinking. He goes back killing somebody. They go backwards. Jesus is illustrating an unfortunate human tendency here. We think we can live without Christ. People think they're in control of their destiny. I've met so many that have been addicted in, in bondage and chains of what the devil's done in their lives and they want to get it right and they make their right thing and the seed is planted. I plant the seed, but it's on rocky ground. It's on the path. They don't get it rooted deep. And within a short time of them not coming to church and not persevering and fighting and want to win this race, it is a battle. They go back. They go back drinking. They go back on the drugs. They go back beating their wife. You've got to be filled with Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You've got to want that every day. Lord, fill me. Even when I get up here, do you hear what I say? Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Speak through me. You know, Reformed alcoholics know that they cannot make it without Christ. Do you remember the book, Fearless, that I asked you guys to buy and read about that Navy SEAL? Phenomenal love story. Great story. But do you remember one thing that really captured me and helped me understand about this demon situation? He got saved. He accepts Jesus Christ, his personal Savior, and he is strong. God does some amazing things. Those that have read the book, isn't it incredible how he got to be that amazing soldier, a decorated soldier with what he had been through? Miracle after miracle. But what does he say to his wife and his platoon or his group of men? He tells them about his addiction. But you know, and then he says, it calls me. It calls me. I can, he says, I can go to any state town that I've never been to and it will show me where a crack house is. I can go and find it. No problem. Without asking. Isn't that phenomenal? There's a testimony of a man that was captured in the power of the demons and they still... Or add him. Come. You don't want to be doing that. Come with us. What does that wife do of his? I mean, she even traces a pickup where he's in with another crackhead heading off to a crack house and he, she's chasing him. They pull over. He gets out the car. Here's the six foot four giant Navy SEAL soldier that runs away from his little delicate wife through the forest. What does she do? She gets in the truck with this other d- dangerous fella and says, take me to the crack house. She goes and gets him out of there. That taught me we need to follow through with those that in our midst that have been through an addiction or stuck and come out of it and they're trying to walk their way with Christ. It is hard for them. That girl went and got her man. Hold him out there. Gave him the gears. Saved him. When we tempt to take care of our lives, it ends in a disaster. If you're making decisions and not not praying about and asking God, is this your will? Let your will be done. You know, it's going to be a disaster. The person must make a choice. We must make a choice to believe in Jesus Christ and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's new purpose in your lives. That's it. Over and over he's telling us. Jesus came as the God-man and got filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he was able to do what he could do as a man. So we're men and women. And he's saying, I will fill you with that spirit. Let me out. Let me at these people. Come on, let's do it together. We've got to make the choice. So there are two spiritual forces at work in the world. And we must choose between them. Satan is scattering and destroying. And we can see that all over our world. But Jesus Christ is still gathering and building. We must make a choice. And if we choose to make no choice, we're choosing to be against Jesus. Choosing to believe in Jesus means much more than saying the right things or knowing verses. The devil knows the verses too. That's how he tempted Jesus in the wilderness before he started his ministry. He quoted scripture to him with a twist. And in verse 21, well, before that, we see the the lady who's captivated in all that he's doing. It says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and that the breast which, you, which nursed you. 
She was certainly sincere. But that's not enough because look at Jesus' answer here. And we, this is time and time again. Haven't we seen this in Luke? It's not me trying to get you out there. Look what verse 21 says. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are, the, are these who hear the word of God and do it. Are you doing it? It's coming over and over again. Go, I send you. Do it. Knowledge puffs up. That's no good to anyone. You've got to know how to use that knowledge. You've got to pray. What does it say? Ask and you shall see, receive. Not material things. Ask for the wisdom to understand the Word of God. Ask for the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the Word of God to use it to save, to be a part of saving someone's life for eternity. This statement is reminiscent of Jesus, of one of Jesus' um, verses that he said in Luke chapter 8, verse 21. He said, My mother and my brothers, and this was literally his mother and his brothers wanting to try and get to see him are these who hear the word of God and do it. Once again, over and over, he's repeating to his believers, his followers, what we're called to do. What is the purpose? Who hear the word of God and do it. It's not enough merely to attempt to be moral. One must be regenerated as to be true followers of Jesus Christ, who is first and foremost, we are obedient to his divine revelation. He is equipping you, enabling you to use this word of God to save a soul. To be a doer, not merely a hearer who deludes the word of God. That's from James chapter 1 verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word. And look how he ends this verse. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, that is, of Jesus, and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you know these things in John, he says, you are blessed. If you do them, he says. If you know these things, a lot of us do. You are blessed if you do them. How can we live this out together as a church? Once again, our verse tells us we are ambassadors for Christ. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? This video, the heaven, my hope, the heaven. Let's reach out to our neighbors, our community and friends. Order it on billygram.org. It's free. I don't know how that ministry can do that, but other through love and compassion for this nation. It's a phenomenal well-made DVD that you don't have to do anything. Put it in, press play, and Billy Graham will give them the message. Look how old he is. He's in his 90s. He is fulfilling what Paul said. Run the race to win. Don't be a loser. Finish this race. Boy, Billy Graham sitting in that chair has produced this to reach this nation again. He did it last year. He's doing it again and in his 90s. Phenomenal. Because he wants to never give up on reaching people. Paul, remember he said, I have the choice to go to heaven or to stay with you. Going to heaven is great. I know oh, I just want to go there. But I know I need to be here because you still don't understand. So he didn't want to go to heaven just yet either. Because you don't want to go, not know that they know Jesus Christ. So in closing, last night I was just looking at my notes and praying and this came up as I was praying. It says, you know, I wrote it down. You know, you and me really have no idea what lies in the balance of a single decision we make to simply believe what Jesus wants you to do and do it. I had no idea by taking that single thought, that inner voice that God gave spoke to me and said, do this. I want you to go there. Speak to this person. Do that. What lies in the balance? What if I didn't listen and come here? You would never know me. I'd never know you guys. I'd never been to see his world if I allowed the lies. Because in the midst of it, I'm, I'm getting the lies. 
Are you crazy? How can you go here? How can you do that? You're a man. You're married. You've got kids. You've got a dog. You've got a house. You've got a mortgage. You've got to provide. Lies, 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 lies. God is saying, trust me, go. In your single decision, you've got to think about what lies in the balance of you being obedient and doing what He's calling you to do. What lies in the balance is people's lives. They're either going to go to hell or heaven. It's simple. Because doing is what makes the difference between the knowledge of God and a personal son and father relationship. You know that? Because doing is what makes the difference between the knowledge of God and a personal son and father relationship. What does your father want you to do? And we've been through that. We are sons and daughters of God, aren't we? We have an inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son. And as in the midst of these accusations and the blindness of people, that they would just not be committed to just allow the lies and the deceit of the world power of Satan and his demons to influence them to deny you, to not follow you, not to accept you. Oh Lord, I pray that your spirit right now in our church would just be so powerful in the midst of everyone here who has accepted you as their personal Savior. And if there's anyone in this room this morning here, Lord, that hasn't, I pray that they would make a commitment to invite you into their lives, to repent, to change their ways, to believe in what you did on the cross, that you died and rose again, and that you're interceding for us right now. Lord, I pray that whoever is in here that wants to know more, or wants someone to pray with, would come forward, Lord, before they leave. Lord, help us to be bold. Give us the courage by the power of your Holy Spirit to go out and reach people, to share the good news about what you have done and what And what we know, we have amazing knowledge about your word of God that we should share. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.